Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Podcast. Uh, we hope you're well. We hope you had a fantastic Christmas and, a gr- and you're having a good new year. Um, it, we're quite low on numbers this week in the uh, in the Xbox World office for various reasons. So it's just just Mike and I today. Hello, Mike. Hello. So we uh, we're, we're going to mix things up a little bit in our in for the first podcast of 2011. Um, we're going to actually go to some reader questions first uh, because we've had some good ones on our Facebook page. Um, we're sorry to everyone who posted uh, questions on uh, our forum. Um, we're in a bit of a rush this morning, so we we decided what we decided to do was grab some from the Facebook page. We'll grab the um, grab the ones from the uh, from the forum next time round, so we've got a big bundle of stuff for for the next podcast. I'm sure a lot of those questions um, aren't too dissimilar to the kind of kind of ones we've got here because the same kind of questions get asked a lot which is fine uh, but you know obviously people want to know about the same kind of games and that sort of stuff so we've grabbed some questions Mike let's have a let's have a little uh, cheeky uh, cheeky few questions which will spark off some debate but before we do that did you have a good Christmas and New Year? Uh, like you I got ill I think everybody was ill over Christmas right? Yeah it was uh, pretty pretty depressing yeah I got a bit of a cold everyone was saying oh I got flu no you ain't got flu you got, most people had a cold you yeah. know, let's be honest but it was a it was a bad one and I was uh, I was fully laid up for a while just sitting around uh, but Christmas Day was fine I was, I was fit as a fiddle then watched Toy Story 3 on Christmas Day you enjoy it? yeah what a great Christmas movie oh it's fantastic it's it? a Belton movie and I really like um you know, there's that like weird serial guilt you get when you sort of put away your toys. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, it's time to get rid of my toys. It sort of really dealt with that in really yeah. inter- in a really interesting way. I thought, I like, I think it was a brave decision to sort of have the characters grow up along with the audience. Yeah, like I wasn't really young enough, and I know you weren't either to um, see Toy Story with the eyes of a child. Yeah. You know, I think I was like about 14 when Toy Story came out. But certainly, my my girlfriend was, I think was like about eight years old when. That first movie came out, so for her it was like she was Andy's age, you know. Yeah. She she grew up with that kid, and he's like, you know, he's off to he's gone to university. He sort of has to he's like got to deal with like what toys is it worth keeping the toys around now? Even in the box for years anyway. It's just a it's just a really interesting way of handling it, and it was like massively, you know, Pixar are really good at just twanging on the heartstrings. They are. Yeah. They'll use every trick in the book. Big Disney eyes, like big swooping score, big mm. swelling music, every trick in the book. Like the bit towards the end with the uh, the yeah. old uh, the old uh, fiery thing. That yeah. was that was that was a pain. That was a heart wrench. It was, moment. yeah. It was it was very emotional. Yeah, I, like I say, I can only imagine what it would be like if it, you really had like you know grown up with those characters. Yeah. Because for yeah. me, it was like I was like, man, I feel touched. My my heart grew three sizes. I do think it was like one of those. I took took we took our. Uh, uh, daughter to see it and I think it's one of those films where the the kind of real heart tugging moments are actually sort of I, I think for really young kids I think it'll completely go over their heads and I think a lot of that actually is like you say whether consciously or not is uh, whether they wrote it consciously or not is appealing to people who grew I up with Toy Story I think they I mean Harry Potter's been very contrived in that regard you know to to bring Harry Potter up along with the audience. You know, the books could have just been written mm. as, you know, endlessly, you know, Harry Potter's like, it's like basically Bart Simpson, mm. an, an endless 11-year-old, you know? Yeah. They could have written him like that, but, you know, she had this character grow up with the audience, you know, that's, that, uh, Rowling had this character grow up and that's incredibly contrived, but incredibly smart because mm. the character's going through the same things the readers are. You know, yeah. Being a pissy little teenager mm. and having... You know, battles with monsters and goblins the way teenagers and shit do. Yeah. Because you know, that's, that's, that's commonplace, right? But yeah, like, Toy Story, absolutely, I think it was, like, designed, and you're right, it is designed for people who 
are 22 now. Yeah. It's, it's not designed for the, the real the real heart talking moments aren't designed for children. I think it was. I think it was brilliant. I think it was a brilliant. It was a brilliant piece of filmmaking as well. You know, just purely, purely from a sort of and just beautiful as well. Yeah, like just, so, so much, the script was really good as well. So much in know. there for people who are, are who are our age. You know, like uh, the the talky phone. Yeah, I have one of those. Yeah, you know, yeah, everyone yeah. Our, our age have one of those. You know? Yeah, I, I, it was one of those things that. Like your mum probably didn't buy it, but someone else's mum did buy it, and that, her kid grew out of it, and it became a hand-me-down to yeah. you. Like the um, do you ever have the Fisher Price garage? Yes. Oh like, yeah, with yeah, the turntable yeah. on top yeah, yeah, and a yeah. lift on the right-hand yeah, side, yeah. and a ramp on the left with three decks, and you could like drive your cars up and put them on the thing. And you turn the handle, and it turns around. Yeah, I remember. Everyone that. had one of those. Yeah, and I think they still sell them or some version of them. Mm. Like, I just got the impression that all through the eighties and nineties, there were probably only about two hundred thousand of them in the world, but they just all got shared around. Yeah, everyone eventually ended up with one. There's like loads of that in the um in the Toy Story movie. Just like there's the sense of like all these toys being hand me downs, yeah, you know, being shared around. Um, also, uh, Totoro from My Neighbor Totoro, isn't it? Right. You've seen that, the Ghibli no. animation, no. which you would love, and right. so would your little girl. Right. Um, it's a very sort of, it's, it's got kind of a slow pace to it, but it's basically about being a child, you know, and right. having going on adventures. And, and you know, um, that big smiley round thing that the little girl has in Toy oh, Story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't yeah. say anything, he just smiles right, and grins. Yeah. That's Totoro. Oh, right. Basically, okay. Pixar really respect this studio. Right. Apparently, Ghibli, I think, put um, Woody into one as a toy that one of the kids had in one of right, their animations. Okay. So they returned the favour by putting Totoro in. Oh, okay. It's a real nice. Like, it's nice. Like, it's, it's, the film's absolutely loaded with little Easter eggs right, and okay. little bits. And it's just a real treat. You know? Yeah. So, just no, a, gr- no, it, great, a great film. And if you look at that film and look at Toy Story, like, remember if you knew your head, Toy Story looked so good. Oh no, you go back. We got it on DVD. Like, like my daughter went through a spell where she really loved um, Toy Story. Her tolerance for repetition was insane. Yeah, well, right? watched watched Toy Story over and over, and so I know to- the original Toy Story really well. She doesn't really like Toy Story two as much. Okay, but she really likes Toy Story. But oh, the 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 especially the humans in that in that in Toy Story are awful. Like yeah. the, I'm just gonna. That's not me undoing my trousers, by the way. It's just me taking my. Did you notice, by the way, that the garbage man in Toy Story Three is the kid from Toy Story One? Oh, really? The kid from next door. Oh, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, it's the same. Well, basically, he's got the same skull and crossbones. Thing. Oh, he's got the same okay. T-shirt or whatever. No, yeah. that's quite clever. There's loads of little bits like that. Yeah, I'll I, I you, didn't know until I looked up on the internet. I'll tell you the other um, Pixar film which I really. Really thought was was just thought was an amazing film was was up yeah oh up was incredible I mean yeah. it's just such a I mean that just the 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 script is just brilliant but like the animation on the the characters is so good that they convey so much of that that film just through saying nothing at all yeah you know and it's just oh it's just everybody talks about the first fifteen minutes which is like a truly heartbreaking yeah cinema. yeah but the um the the film as a whole is just absolutely. F- Faultless. Yeah, it's amazing. I think Up is by far Pixar's best movie. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's a great film. And um, you know what else they nailed with Up? The dog. They like, did, yeah. They, like dogs, and they always do this on, and I think I might have said this on the podcast before, on TV commercials for like um, Dogs Trust or whatever, other dog charities, they always have a dog who's like, it's this old terrier, and he'll be like, hi, I'm Wilf. I was, uh, you know, I was in a bad way, and they, these people took me in and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. Dogs don't talk like that. I'm sorry, but in, like you know, I know how dogs talk. I've been around dogs all my life. Dogs don't talk like that. They have an, I, I, you can see on a dog's face they have an internal monologue. If you look at them, 
there is stuff going on behind the, the, the eyes, but not a lot. Mm. It's not a conversation. It's not, hi, I'm Wilf. I'm blah, blah, blah. It's squirrel. Yeah. It's, hello, I love you. Yeah. It's yeah. that, you know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's basics. It's monosyllabic. It's dumb. They walk into a room and they go, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and they just start looking around, staring at everybody. What, what are you doing? Yeah. Or if you got, so if you, if you're doing the old treat in one hand, nothing in the other thing, and you're holding it in front of them, they're like, what's going on? What are you doing? Like, and then this is the, the eyes darting around. And that thing, which oh, of course all dogs do, where they, they come in, they look at you, and they, they do the head tilt. Like, there's nothing going on there. There's not, there's not a conversation. And in um, the Pixar in Up, yeah. they absolutely nailed yeah, you know, They yeah. got the sense that a dog is this, it's a smart animal, but it's you know, smart in spite of its stupidity. Mm. You know, and I, I, I really appreciated that. I just thought it was a great flick. No, it was good. I went. I took um, Aaron uh, over Christmas to see Megamind. Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It was actually all right. I was expecting it to be awful because I watched the trailer and and it it honestly looked like there were Who no Megamind? no jokes in it. Uh, DreamWorks, right? Because DreamWorks stuff aren't, is aren't good. I mean, Shrek was was all right. the first Shrek was good. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, they're not. Ice Age isn't DreamWorks, is it? No. Because Ice Age is pretty good. The first Ice Age is excellent. The second one's not so good. The third one I really liked, but wasn't, you know, like massively popular. Yeah. Well, it was popular, but it wasn't like critically popular. Yeah. But um But yeah, it was alright. It was quite it was quite sort of it sent it sent up sort of superhero films quite well I thought you know especially Superman it was kind of like a good set you know send, send up of Superman I always worry about those movies where it's just like a parody of something else though because no child's going to get that parody no I, I was, what I was going to say was that you know the reason I mentioned it was because when I took Erin uh, to see uh, Toy Story 3 she was completely transfixed for the the whole hour and a half you know she sat in a seat the whole time just absolutely transfixed by it. admittedly part of that will be because she knows the characters well yeah but you, with, you don't with, have to go through the process of introducing them again no. or anything with Megamind she she watched it about half an hour and then it started to get a bit like she was up on a seat and she was asking me what treats can I have yeah it was like, a pain in the ass taking a kid to the cinema you know so so it was not as successful as Toy Story 3 mm. I thought it was alright but it wasn't yeah. amazing okay Anyway, let's get on to some some uh, some questions, uh, and we'll use that as a as a as a starting point for this uh, podcast. We thought we swap swap it around a little bit, change the running order, because that's what 2011 is all about. So, uh, first question from Harrison Weir: uh, Estimates for Dead Space Two score? Well, let me pick that up first and say that the new issue is on sale next week. We'll talk about the new issue um, in a little while. Uh, so the the review of Dead Space is in there. So I don't want to talk too much about it, other than to say Matt absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, we've actually had a conversation in the office the other day. There's a there's a slight sort of debate on Dead Space. I think you know, it's no doubt it's a really good game. I think Matt really rates it. How much does he rate it over the first Dead Space? That might surprise people. Yeah. I think he thinks the game's great. But he thought the first Dead Space was great, which is the better of the two. Again, that might be a surprise. Yeah. When uh, when people read his review, certainly I've played through the game as well, and I th- I think there's a, a quite a debate to be had there. Which one's the better of the two games? Right. Okay. The new one's definitely a Dead Space game, and it's very similar. You know, it's very similar in a lot of ways. It, it changes a few things, perhaps not as much as you'd hope they would. John Strike, whenever we were playing, it would always look over his shoulder and go, God, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. To the point they got a bit annoying, actually. Mm. Shut up, John. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know what? There's a, there's a question to be had there, and there will be people who debate that. 
It's like I think it is. It, there's certain games where it's pretty much inarguable which is the better game, you know. Mm. But in this case, it's, it's kind of a, it. it's kind of an interesting one that because I, I guess developers are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place to a certain extent because I mean if they have a very successful formula for their first game and then as B- Batman is also doing well, we're reportedly doing. We haven't seen it fully. You know, it's kind of sticking fairly close to the template of the yeah. first game. You're you know, some people say that's great because you don't want to make a massive error and take it off on some tangent. And some people say, well, it could have been a bit more ambitious. I mean, yeah. it's difficult. I mean, well, look at the new uh, Tomb Raider. No one's no, Tomb Raider hasn't been exciting since uh, hasn't been this exciting since Tomb Raider Legend. You know, yeah. all of a sudden Lara's exciting again. Or all of a sudden <coughs> Lara's an interesting, you know, in an interesting world with an interesting character. The level, you know, the game design seems much more interesting, much more creative. But then, you know. Then you've got Gears of War 2, which is, yeah, which perhaps took the wrong direction. You know, they were like, well, you know, this is going to be more epic, there's going to be more things on screen. And as a result, you lost that kind of fun, what they, what they called like a horizontal platformer kind of thing, where you're like moving from cover to cover. Mm. They lost that for the sequel. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough, I think. Whenever you're, whenever you're playing in Sequel Town, you got, you want to, I think it all comes down to how good the original game was, basically, yeah. and how well received it was. Uh, if you look at the guys working on a new Red Faction game, they're completely changing the sequel. Mm. You know, Armageddon's a very different game to Gorilla. And that, perhaps that's because it's Volition. Volition are a bunch of guys who made, you know, they made a space sim. They followed that with an RPG. They followed that with an open world game where you can ride around a quad bike mm. in a mall, running people over with to what AHA's playing. You know, there's that, that's, that's what they do. They change every single time. Uh, with something like Batman, I'd play it safe. Yeah, but with something like Gorilla, you couldn't because it didn't sell huge at first time. Yeah, so if, you, that's if you're right. going to do a sequel, you yeah. got to, you got to change it up, even though it was a good game. Yeah, clearly didn't bite with the audience somehow. Why? Well, let's let's address it and work it out. Mm. Uh, Harine Kamarason uh, says, uh, "Your most and least anticipated game of 2011." Oh God, that's a big one. Well, most is is a lot easier than least because. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there's you keep your most anticipated games on the on your radar, whereas yeah. your least ones you don't. And there's a lot of games that we are so l- like low profile, we don't even know about them. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of games which are so low profile that even though they've been announced, no one's noticed them. I think maybe maybe we should maybe we should adapt that question, and I hope you don't mind, Harine. Uh Maybe we should do most anticipated, and and maybe. We could do so at least anticipated AAA game, yeah, like the big game, yeah, that, that we we have worries about, yeah. or we, you know. So for me, I mean, most anticipated is pr- pretty pretty obvious. I'm you know I'm really looking forward to Batman. Uh, really looking forward to Batman. Um, I also I mean this is a s- stunningly strong year for the 360. So there's yeah. a, there's a lot of well, games that are. And you know what? There's a I'm going to stop you there because it's actually. And a lot of people, a lot of our readers will have seen this and they'll, they'll wonder if we did and we should we point out we have. Uh, a big list came out earlier in the week of um, exclusives per pla- by platform. Mm. And the 360 comes off by far the worst yeah. of all of the major platforms. It's 360 exclusives, all you're looking at is Forza 4, um, Gears of War 3, and or something else, I forget. But um, you know, you're looking at three exclusives and you look at the Kinect stuff mm. but you know you chop the Kinect stuff and the Move stuff off the list which I don't think is perhaps fair because I think a lot of the Move stuff is you know nonsense well a lot of the Kinect stuff is stuff like Child of Eden which again isn't exclusive but it's exclusive to Kinect there's no motion control on other platforms 
you've got Steel Battalion, which is exclusive, Project um, Draco, which is exclusive. You know, it's a, a Panzer Dragoon sequel and a Steel Battalion sequel. That's big news, and those are exclusives. Um, I think it's an incredibly strong year for games on yeah. all platforms. I don't think we'll see the 360's full potential until E3. I think E3 is the point at which a lot, uh, Microsoft will come out and, and show off all their big exclusive games. But for now, you know what? Exclusive-wise, it's quite slim pickings. So One what, thing you will be able to count on is that 360 gets the better version of every game. Yeah. Although that's, you know, PS3's starting to fix that now. So, so what have PS3 got this year? they got Drake. Drake, Uncharted. Uh, you know, uh, Uncharted, sorry. Um, what is it called? I'll forget. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, their new Uncharted game, Killzone. Of course, yeah. Uh, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus Collection, which is huge. You know, it's a, a two great games run at their, running at their best. Mm. Uh, Killzone, um, Infamous. Oh, right, yeah. The first one kind of stank the joint up. but yeah. And bear in mind, Killzone 2, that's like, that game sucks. Yeah. Like, the, you know, you'll, you'll find a lot of PlayStation owners that tell you that game's the bomb. Nah, that game sucks. It's really bad. Really, really bad. I'm a PlayStation owner. Love my PlayStation. Got a lot of games on it. But that game sucks. Mm. Um, but that's coming. You're looking at a new uh, Resistance Right, okay. okay so and new Motor Storm. They've got some biggies then. Yeah, I mean, all their big franchises, Pop Bar, God of War, has been about to be represented pretty mm. much. You know, new, Twisted new little, Metal out this year? Uh, I believe so. Little Big Planet as well. Little Big Planet 2 is out any, any minute now. Mm. That's a lot of big games they got, you know, and they, they've done well this year. Mar- Marvel vs. DC. Uh, yeah. Sorry, not Marvel vs. DC. DC Universe, DC Universe which yeah. is a great MMO from what we're hearing. Right, okay. Really impressive. Just PC and PS3 only. Yeah, you know what, Microsoft, I think in their desperation to get people locked down on Kinect, drop the ball on getting third parties to come to yeah. Xbox with a lot of their big games. But I mean, like you say, there might be more at E3, but it is, yeah, you're probably right. It is probably more of a bet, a good, a great year for gaming rather than a great year for 360. Having I said, I think we'll see a 343 game this year, though. Yeah. yeah. We'll see their first game, and that will be Halo branded. That will be a big Halo game. And that'll be an interesting story. What What is going to be their take on Halo, you know? Yeah. No, it will be it will be interesting to find. I mean, having said all that, I mean Gears. Uh, don't underestimate just how well, many copies Gears Three will sell. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's um, you know, PS 3s got more exclusives, but Xbox has got the bigger exclusive. Yeah. There's no bigger after Halo. There's no bigger exclusive than no, I mean, Gears of War. Gears will will be a th- three three million seller, and it's whether you know pl- three million plus. And it's whether you know the the PS3 has got an exclusive that can can live with that. I mean, yeah. Uncharted kills, probably kills zones, no gears. And, Uncharted and, is the game. Yeah, Uncharted's. I think um, every Uncharted two was so good that now the brand is that strong. You mm. know, it, like Unchar- Uncharted was a good game. Uncharted two was a great game. Uh, the third one, yeah. Now it's got the, the, a very valuable brand, and it's going to be a good game. So. Mm. The first two were basically brand building, I think. Yeah, yeah. First one was first one was a lot of experiments. The second one was perfecting those experiments, and they've they've got the formula now. Yeah, they don't have to worry about that. So, um, what what game are you look? You, what's on number one on I your? I think number one on my list is Deus Ex: Human Revolution. Oh right, cool. Yeah, now that's this, a good. That's a good one. Yeah, because, and it's out soon as well, yeah. like April time. I mean, and we, in a second we're going to go back to this question, and we're going to look at it from. Uh, a multi-platform point of view as well because I've got something which you want to talk about on that as well but if you're looking at a game which changed the world you're looking for Deus Ex two games released in the same 12 months span uh, absolutely changed games forever and that's System Shock and Deus Ex yeah. System Shock 2 and Deus Ex yeah. both games come from guys who worked at Looking Glass they left the studios Looking Glass was like 
where all modern games are born. If you look at all the biggest Western games in the last 10 years, they had people working at Looking Glass working on them. Now, Looking Glass was like university. People, and we just we interviewed Ken Levine in issue 100. Still on shelves, folks, so you should grab that yeah, while you, you still definitely can. definitely go and get it. Yeah, still a great, that's a great issue. It sold fantastic because it was absolutely loaded and we've got a, well, we'll pimp the next issue soon, but you do your chance to get that issue 100 is... Running out. The clock's running out. Yeah. Grab it this weekend. But, um... Look, to summarise what Ken said for people who haven't read it, it was like university. Deadlines, pfft, no deadlines, and it was quite poorly run, I guess. You know, it was like, it was, it was a great training ground for these incredibly creative guys. Two of them went away and did two quite similar games, you know, first-person shooters with very, like, loaded with RPG mechanics, choices you have to make along the way, big decisions. This is where games like Bioshock come from today, you know. Games, um, first-person shooters, which do, you know, carry a big story, you know. Everyone says that uh, Halo borrows a lot from uh, Homeworld. Is it Homeworld? God, I forgot the name. Sorry, if if it's not, everyone knows which which game I'm talking about. It's coming back. It's coming back this year anyway. Um... And it does, but it also borrows a lot from System Shock and from Deus Ex, you know, the, the, a, a first-person shooter which is absolutely mired in story, filled with p- important plot points. Halo was influential in its own way, and mecha- mechanically it was influential, but those games were so influential from a storytelling point of view. And no game has really aped Deus Ex. We've been, it's been 10 years now since Deus Ex came out, 11 I think this year, and no game is lock, stock, and barrel copied Deus Ex because it's a really, really hard game to make. Mm. And these guys have made a game that's absolutely respectful to what Deus Ex was. It's a completely new team. Uh, you know, they've got the blessing of the original creators, but it's a completely new team. And they could have done such a bad job of it. Mm. They could have done such a rotten job. They could have come in, taken a Deus Ex name, and just banged out a game. But these guys have been working on this game for five years now. And... It's got a sci-fi vision that looks like something you've never seen before. It's got elements of Blade Runner, sure. It's got elements of Ghost in the Shell, sure. But it's it looks different. It looks unique. And they've taken all these systems. Like, if you were going to update Deus Ex, there's so many things you would throw away. Like, just for a modern, just to make it more accessible. And they said, you know what? No, we're going to keep those things. Because they were good and they were fun. Things like moving around boxes and things like the um, the... Inventory organization, which is still the most fun way to do an inventory, by the way. Game, not enough games do that. You know the um, Deus Ex, Resident Evil 4, you get a grid, yeah. you slot your items into the grid and you have to sort of shuffle it. Yeah, yeah. Like, as for someone who's like, you know, a borderline borderline autistic neat freak like I am, it's just the most wonderful thing. Like you have all your grenades over here and all of your ammunition is here and there's your green ammunition, there's your blue ammunition, there's the grenade launcher at the top and you get to shuffle it around. They've kept that. They've kept the branching tech trees for every single skill you can level up in the game. Make no mistake, you play this game once... It'll be great. You play it again, and it'll be a completely different game. Mm. Like Deus Ex will be, you know, the re- the most replayable single player game of the year, and it will be hopefully a brilliant game. Yeah. So that's like that's right up there. What do you reckon's low on your list? Um, I'm trying to think, really. I mean, <sighs> it's tough, right? I it mean, is. because like you say, the games you don't care about, you don't care about. Yeah. I mean, I think um, let's talk about how are some games you should be big names you should be wary of. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't have any of them either. <laughs> yeah, 
All right, here's one. I, I talked about it a little bit, a little bit um, on the last podcast, but I think La Noir has the potential to be either amazing or really disappointing. Yeah, it's like there's yeah. no there's no middle ground with that game. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to go over it again because I talked about it quite extensively the last one. But I think you know the tech they've got going on there is really impressive. But it's a really fine balancing act between uh, game and interactive movie. And I think you know people are um, people might find it not to their tastes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think that's that's got the potential to, you know, uh, you know, not live up to its billing. I, I think. think Crisis Two has got the potential to do exactly the same. Yeah. Bear in mind that uh, the guys behind it, Crytek, they've made two big name games: Far Cry and Crisis, both of which were only half good. You play halfway through the game, you're like, this is brilliant. Yeah. And then the second half of the game just goes to absolute shit. Yeah. I mean, just uh, like, you know, if you were only reviewing the second half of the game, you'd be you'd be giving them five out of tens. And when Crisis came out, it was like the great hope for PC gaming at the time. I mean, and that was when we all thought PC gaming was dead. Of course, it's not. But everyone was thinking, oh, man, PC gaming needs a, a big game. It needs a big game. And Crisis was that big game. I remember some guy, in, um, some guy on uh, 1UP gave it it's first eight out of ten, right? Not a nine out of ten, or a ten out of ten. And uh, said, "Well, you know, the ending sucks." So like he said, "You know, if you if you do, if you're a gymnast and you you, know, you, do, you launch yourself along the thing and you jump off the horse and you're like, oh, it's a backflip, it's another backflip, it's another backflip, it's a twist, it's it's another twist." And it's, it's like, and, and he just goes on and on and he's got up in the air for two minutes and then lands flat on his face yeah. at the end, smashes his face in. The fact is, he still landed flat on his face at the end, you mm. know? And it's an 8 out of 10, I'm afraid. It not matter what, how good it was on the going up, on the going down, it was a real mess. Yeah. And I think people were really offended by the idea that, you know, you can have a game that's this good all the way through and then it sucks at the end and you're marking it down. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the facts, Jack. You know, the, the game did suck mm. in, its, in its final third. Let's hope Crytek have learned a lesson there. Yeah, yeah. Because Crisis 2 needs to be good all the way through. Yeah. I mean, especially since it's coming out in the, in the same six-week window that Bulletstorm is. And yeah. that game is brilliant. Yeah, it's a crazy it's a crazy release schedule, really. All the games seem to be bunched into the spring or the autumn. Yeah. There's, like, there's nothing coming out. Well, what a weird world we live in when we can go for four months without having a good game to play. Yeah. I mean, what's going on there? What, how is that even possible that between April... And September, there's gonna be nothing to play. Yeah, that that's mad. That's, that's, that makes no sense. I mean, I'm sense. sure there'll no I'm sense. sure there'll be games that they get pushed back into May, but and there may you know there may be games that come out in the summer. But I mean, I, I think Dragon Age is aiming for that window. Yeah, I mean, Bat, Batman is um, is probably going to come out in September time. I would have thought. I doubt very much whether they would launch a massive game like that in. Well, they did. They did, the, they did the first one in August. Yeah, uh, right at the end of August, and it was just the Bioshock slot. Yeah, which Bioshock did so well with a few years before, and it was such a smart place because you take a big game that um, is is a great game. And you give it all its breathing room. You release it, you know, a full like month before a Halo, the Halo game or the Gears game. Release it a full month. It's full two months after anything else that was looking good. Mm. You get all that breathing room. But now they've got the brand. Yeah, they've got the strength. They've, everybody knows how good it is. It's on everyone's must playlist. They can release it anytime they want. That can be a November game. They could put it up against Call of Duty. Yeah. So our next question, uh, I can I can quickly answer oh, whoa, this one. Whoa, whoa. Oh yeah, you were yeah. going to say sorry. Yeah, anticipated stuff this year about the 3ds. Oh right, yeah. 
See, the 3DS is, uh, is is straddling both sides of that as well because this week they've, um, well, all over the weekend they had the Nintendo show, big public exhibition where they bring in uh, everyone gets to play 3DS, play new Street Fighter on 3DS. It's, I mean, everyone's great, great feedback on that. Dead or Alive. They did a 30 minute Metal Gear Solid press conference where they didn't show any footage of the game. Right. Thanks, Konami. Um, they did show some footage, but it's footage we've seen before. And they announced a lot of things about the game, about the machine. I mean, let's face it, some of those games look amazing. New Resident Evil looks incredible, and the new Metal Gear looks incredible. Street Fighter, I can't wait for that, personally. We're looking at a February release in Japan for the console with the most rubbish launch lineup you could ever imagine. <laughs> the only Nintendo game among them is Nintendogs. But I think that's Nintendo setting out their stall. They're saying, it's okay, third parties. We're not going to compete with you. Mm. Don't be scared of our product because normally that's what happens. Yeah. On Nintendo platforms, only Nintendo games sell. Yeah. So now they're, they're kind of trying not to scare third parties off. And I think it's quite good because if you look at the next few weeks after launch, every week there's a big game. Right. Every couple of weeks there's a big game. And then going into summer, you've got Star Fox, you've got Ocarina of Time, you've got big games every month staggered all the way through. I think our launch date is going to be the third or the fourth week of March. Uh, America will probably be one week before us, and there'll be more launch games for that as well. You know, but for me, the only big launch game that's been announced so far is Street Fighter. If it's a Western release. We'll be looking at bigger ones, but whatever. There's a lot of exciting things they've been talking about with that platform. You know, they've got a, a pedometer in the yeah, in 3DS. Said, yeah, yeah. As you walk around, you earn points. You earn coins, which can be spent in all 3DS games to unlock things. So it actually gives you an impetus to actually put the thing in your bag and take it with you to places. You know. That's kind of, you're like, oh, well, why is that cool? Well, because if you're in Japan and you're playing a game like Nintendogs, which shares data with other games, it's a kind of a cool feature. Like, if you, take, if you set it to, like, walkies mode, if you walk past someone else who's also walking their dog, the two dogs will trade items and you'll get a free thing. That's cool in Japan because you've got, like, you get on a train and everyone's playing a DS. Over here, that's not so cool. Nobody mm. takes their stuff with them, you know. But with the 3DS, it's got you've got a reason to take it with you. And once you've got it with you, you may as well just set it to that search mode. For example, with Street Fighter, you can level up your characters and then they will fight other players as they walk past you. So if someone else has got that Street Fighter data on their 3DS, when they walk past, your guy will clash with their guy. Whoever wins gets a little trophy out of it. It's just a fun thing, you know. Mm. It's like a nice surprise for when you get home. And these things are super cool. But then they also said three to five hour battery life. Which is kind of worrying. Yeah. Um, I mean, back when the DS was first announced and uh, the PSP was announced the same year, uh, Iwata came out and said, "You know what? I think a console with a with a three to five hour battery life is but it's pointless. You got you know you got have ten hours on a handheld, and now he's just launching a console which doesn't have those ten hours. Right. I don't know. There's um. Do want to know whether that massively affect it or not really because well I've never had any problems on my PSP no. I've taken it on long flights and I've taken it on short journeys and I've always enjoyed playing games on my PSP and I'm sure I'm going to do the same with the 3DS uh, some people that battery life is going to be an issue yeah. I don't know I suppose if you've got an hour commute and an hour back then it's if it is the bottom line if it is three hours that's you're you're running it quite close <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah you know. But make no mistake, like I've, I've played one of these. I went to when I was at Gamescom. I got to spend half an hour just fiddling with the DS on my own, which was a delight because at E3 last year, on the last day of E3, the queues to play the 3DS were out of the door 
And when you say out of the door, you're like, oh, what, to the edge of the room? No, 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 to the edge of the hall, then down the corridor leading to the hall, then out the front door. You're talking probably like a 300-meter queue. Mm. Like, there was no way I was going to do that. But at Gamescom, I was able to sit down with a lovely German fella, and he turned, we played a load of the 3DS stuff. And let me tell you, my friend, it is literally 3D as all hell. Yeah. It's so 3D. It's amazing. It's an amazing effect. And I'm not a guy who gets that excited by 3D. But no, it's a cool effect. It's really fun. It's really clever. It's really interesting. And it makes the games look great. Yeah. Cool. So uh, Danny Liggins asks, uh, what do you guys make of the FIFA 11 penalty system? Well, I'll quickly answer this and say it's massively, massively flawed. Uh, it's probably the thing that, w- you know, our conspiracy theory here at Xbox World is that they break something every year in order to that they can say they fixed it the next year. And I think this is the thing that they broke this year. I hate the FIFA 11 penalty system. I've just about mastered the art of putting penalties away, but there was a six-month window where I couldn't do it. So, rubbish. Steve Mason says, Was anyone as disappointed with Black Ops and The Force Unleashed 2 as I was? Too short and a crap storyline. I think everybody, everybody who's like... Who knows? Games was disappointed by both, but at the same, I don't think any. Actually, you know what? I'm not sure if anyone was disappointed by both. I think if you know games, you probably knew what to expect. Yeah. The first Force Unleashed wasn't good, and the second one clearly had less resources, less money thrown at it. What's more, the lead producer on the game left the project halfway through. Mm. When that happens, you know a project's in trouble. I, you, I guess the thing with Black Ops is that uh, is that. You know, everyone knew it was coming from Treyarch, so everyone knew it wasn't going to be as good as Modern Warfare. So you, at least you're, you're, I guess, prepped for that. Force Unleashed, I sort of disagreed to with you, Mike, a little bit in that the first game. I'm not saying it was a great game. But I'm saying it was kind of, it was kind of fun, and it did its uh, Euphoria physics thing really, really well. It had one trick, and that trick it did really well. And, you know, I'm not saying it was a great game, but it was no, kind it was of entertaining. Okay. The sequel's a slap the, in the face. The sequel is, is awful. It's, it's awful. And, uh, and you know, I think that was possibly the We the, gave it a the flat bigger, 50, right? Yeah. And we could have gone lower. Yeah, we could have gone. And I think, it, I think that, for me, was a much bigger disappointment than Black Ops. Because Black Ops does its thing okay, I think. You know, yeah. it, it does its thing okay. We gave it 72, which is... You know, uh, not not a, a terrible score by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. I think the right score as well. I think a lot of uh, critics got caught up in the hype. I think absolutely seven seven out of ten is the right score for yeah. that game. Yeah. So, so out of the two, I definitely say, I definitely say that Force Unleashed Two was was the bigger disappointment. I don't think it's any surprise that old Steve has found himself a bit disappointed by it. Yeah. Sorry, Steve. If you got, wait for our reviews next time, mate. We got. Um, I think the last year of gaming was generally disappointing for me. I was disappointed by every major release last year from, you know, the beginning to the very end, from Brotherhood to uh, Bad Company. You know, Bad Company is my favorite online game probably ever. But man, the campaign on that is terrible. Absolutely, Mm. truly rotten. Uh, Brotherhood's a great game. I, I loved it. That was my Christmas game. Played nothing but. Played it three days solid and even went to sleep dreaming about it, waking up and having, like, freaky Assassin's Creed nightmares. But... Yeah, it's not as good as Assassin's Creed 2. Right, okay. You know, I think last year was a, a generally a disappointing year. It was like a consolidation year, as we often refer to them, mm. where a lot of big developers were between projects, and this is the year those projects bear fruit. Mm. 
Sean Richens asks, what do you guys think could be this year's Batman, the game that comes along and just blows everyone away from them? Oh, God. That's uh, a good question. That's a good question. I, I'm not... Could be Bulletstorm. It could be Bulletstorm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be something like Bulletstorm. I think in the autumn, you're basically looking at five games that we know are going to be massive. It's going to be Batman, Call of Duty, whatever, uh, Mass oh. Effect 3, Elder Scrolls, yeah. and some Gears. Yeah. Gears 2. So you know you know three. what you're getting from all of... Three. You know what you're getting from all of those. But yeah, this, this spring could be where something springs where a surprise. Le- where legends are made. Yeah, that's yeah. right, you know. And Bulletstorm could be the one. I mean, it's not like Bulletstorm hasn't had loads of buzz and loads of sort of coverage and press, but it's still... I think a lot of people at home don't realise how good it is yet. Yeah. I don't think people realise just how much fun it is. Like, we're not covering it because it's because EA are wheeling out big truckloads of money to our doorstep, more's the pay. They're, um, it's because it's a really fun game. Like, it's just obscenely fun. It's It's got that burnout thing going on. Where you're just like, oh, one more go, one more go, one more go, one more kill, one more level, one more combo. Yeah. It's just like you just want to keep playing it. You just want to keep enjoying it. Like I remember I played it on Game- at Gamescom last year. And when I was done with the, uh, the little four-minute demo they put together, I said, can I play that again? He was like, sure. And I played it all over again. Exact same thing, exact same kills, exact same combos. And just had a blast twice in a row. Mm. It's Endlessly fun, mm. endlessly fun. It, it could be that. It yeah, could be that. Could be that. Remember, Crisis is a unknown quantity to console gamers. Yeah, it could. That could be the, the big new console brand. You know, that could be a breakout brand. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it's E3 is the point at which you start learning that. I think. Yeah. E3 is where you get you. You turn up at E3 and you're like, oh, one game becomes a talking point. Yeah. Everybody comes away going, "Have you seen this game?" Yeah, yeah. You know what? If you're backing like an unlikely one. Uh, From Dust, yeah. From Dust isn't going to be a mass appeal game. It isn't going to be that Batman game. But I think it could be that game where everyone, everyone sits. Everyone who plays it is like, God, this is amazing. Yeah. And just goes around evangelizing it, just like telling everyone, you have to play this game. You've got to play this game. This is the game you need to play. That was how it was again. Germany Gamescom last year. Everyone's like, everyone on the show floor. Have you seen Hotel? Have you seen Hotel? I'm thinking Hotel <laughs> Dusk. Yeah. You've seen From Dust. You've seen From Dust. No, I haven't seen it. It's a live arcade game. Why would I want to see that? You've got to see it. Yeah, you've got to see it. And everybody like was saying, you have to go and see this game, and it's it's going to be it's going to be great. Sam Dennis says, is DLC just something devs could have included in the game but didn't to make more money? Are they Sometimes. are they abusing this opportunity to actually grow their respective communities, or is it justified to charge a ten pound fee for just three more multiplayer maps, no names mentioned? Bungie. <laughs> Uh, Infinity Activision yeah well, Activision do uh, what they do what, with uh, the Call of Duty maps what they do is they'll do like three maps and then and a fourth which is a remake fourth and the fifth sometimes both which are remakes you're like oh jeez man that's daylight there's a, there's a very sort of um, definite dividing line between between some companies take on DLC and other companies take Activision really are you know this generation's EA, you know, because they are all about pumping it for more money, more yeah, money, running more into money, the ground. Yeah, run it into the ground. And but other companies aren't. You know, I mean, you look at something like, um, I guess, Bethesda with with the amount of content they delivered for for Elder Scrolls. I mean, Shivering Isles was a bigger game than most full price releases. Yeah, you sure, know? and that and it was it was just huge. I mean, they bear in mind they charged twenty quid for it. Yeah, but rightly so. Yeah, it, it was it was bigger than most games. Yeah, and. 
you know, there are other examples I can't think of. There are some of. terrible examples. Like the very first bad example everyone knows is horse armor. Yeah, yeah. But the other really bad example was the first ever Ghost Recon uh, level pack. I think it was eight levels, which is great, but for multiplayer only. And you're like, oh, yeah, you can play them in single player. And it's like, yeah, sure, you can play them in single player if you want to die yeah. instantly. Yeah. But yeah, you can. Uh, there were like uh, co op levels. Uh, and it was a big bundle of them, but it was like 10 quid. And that was a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's a big ask. And you know what you're looking at now is there's two types, I think, of DLC. There's the DLC which was obviously ready, and sometimes it's obvious because it's already on the disc, and all they do is sell an unlock code. Mm. Or sometimes it's obvious because it comes so soon after release that it's yeah. obviously something which was already done. Uh, Force Unleashed DLC, yeah. in particular, you know, Force Unleashed Two is a, a, a culprit there. And then you have the kind of DLC which really does expand the experience, really was completed after the game came out. I mean, bear in mind, everyone has a DLC agenda now. Yeah. And it just depends on how you do that. Are you going to finish the game, build a complete experience, sell that game, and then add to it? Mm. Or are you going to sell an incomplete experience and then fill the holes in with DLC? I mean, I suppose one of the, one of the, the, the things with publishers is that ultimately they're in this business to make money. And if they think by investing a, a shed load of cash in DLC that they're not going to make their money back on it, then they are going to pump out four multiplayer maps for, you know, 10 quid or whatever it is, you know. But, I mean, we've seen stuff like Battlefield Vietnam really meet with a, a massive audience. Battlefield Vietnam's the kind of DLC which makes you want to write to the company that made it and thank them. Yeah. It's so good... And so complete and so different to what they've already had on the disc. It's truly exceptional DLC, the very best of downloadable content. It's DLC don't get any better than that in the mm. Shivering Isles. You know, single player Shivering Isles is the peak, multiplayer Battlefield Vietnam is the peak. It's all new assets. It's five new maps, big maps, great maps, all of which use new assets, new guns, new character designs, uh, new leveling up rewards. Everything's been changed. It's a whole new game. You know, that's... I honestly think it was mad. I know they use a lot of in-game assets. And I've had this conversation with someone before. Like, one of the best pieces of DLC last year was Minerva's Den. So we'll mm. come back to that in a second. Um, the thing is, Microsoft have a 2.2 2 gig cap on any live arcade game. But if you up that, you can actually sell Battlefield Vietnam as a standalone game on live arcade. And then it would reach an even bigger audience. And I really wish developers would start doing that. Yeah. Sell these... I mean, if, if you could... And they would never do it because uh, they wouldn't be able to charge so much for it. But if you could separate if, like Modern Warfare's multiplayer from its single player, how many copies would that disc sell? Mm. How many people are buying a game just for multiplayer? I think mm. that's an interesting question yeah. that no publisher would ever want to find out. Yeah. The trick with games is now, what DLC is for is to... Let's just go to Minerva's Den for one second before I get onto that. Minerva's Den was amazing, and that was built entirely after the fact. But it uses, and it's a big, big game. It's like, you know, it's a good three hours of game. Uh, small, self contained, but big in game terms. It's got a big scope, mm. lots to do, and it's very different to the regular game. Like, that's what DLC can be at its this best. This is for Bioshock 2, of course. This is Bioshock 2, know. yeah, sorry. And uh, that game. I'm sure they would have loved to make it a standalone game, but they couldn't because they needed to use assets that were already on the disc in order to squeeze it into the two gig cap. That's that's an interesting situation. Mm. I think I think something Microsoft could and should address uh, because if they could sell it as DLC for ten quid or and then sell it as standalone for twelve quid, 
I think that'll be okay. I think yeah. that's something that's okay. Yeah. What DLC is for, I'm not sure if, how commonly known this is, and I think it's a common knowledge in the industry. What DLC is for isn't to expand the game, and it isn't even really to make money off of you, although that's a nice side effect. It's to stop you selling the game. It's to stop you taking it to game or game station and getting rid of it. Because the minute you do that, they lose you, but that's not the problem. Losing you isn't a big deal. The big deal is someone else can buy that game and they get no money for mm. it. So one game goes through five people, that's a problem. You know, if, if that one game goes through five different pairs of hands, they've just lost four sales. Uh, they've, they, they, you know, you've, they've been robbed to them. That's no different to piracy. You know, they, they make no money off of piracy. They make no money off of secondhand sales. Mm -hmm. Either way, the, pu the publisher and the studio that made the game are getting shafted. So what DLC is for is to keep you invested, keep you interested. The reason Dead Space has a multiplayer mode is because they want you still playing Dead Space six months down the line so you don't sell it. Mm -hmm. That's why Assassin's Creed has a multiplayer mode. So it's six months down the line, you're still playing it. They sold two levels of Assassin's Creed 2 months after the fact so that you would come back later and play the game again so you wouldn't sell the game. That's what it's always there for. Mm. The thing that the games industry is afraid of more than anything is secondhand sales. Yeah. Uh, I mean, games stop in America, I think... Uh, I think... It's, it's like, God, I, and this is, I'm just plucking this figure out of the air, but it's a figure similar to this. I'll it'll be wrong, so one of our readers can correct me. But it's like 80% of their profits comes from secondhand sales. Mm. When you're talking about companies just making billions... Like when you're EA, you're not looking at oh GameStop made this many billions. You're saying GameStop GameStop stole this many mm. billions off of me. Mm. That's a problem mm. for developed publishers. And the way they're answering it is with things like an online pass, so you can't play FIFA without the pass. Mm. That means if you do sell FIFA, you get bored of it, you sell it on someone else. Well, they still got to buy the online pass, so EA are going to at least make like ten quid off of that guy. Yeah. And that's one of the ways they're countering it. And one of the other ways is long-term investment, like. Did Dead Space need a multiplayer mode? Not for me, not for you, but for EA it did. Because mm. it's going to stop people selling it over a long term. That's what DLC is for. That's what they want to keep on pumping you for, for, for stuff. And what I think what they should learn is that long-term plan of cheap DLC is better than a long-term plan of expensive DLC if you want to keep people in. I think the Cerberus Network was a great example of that mm. on Mass Effect, where they gave you a lot of free stuff yeah. over a couple of months. Mm. Perhaps not enough free stuff, but you know, lessons to be learned on both sides. It's been six years now since the Xbox 360 came along and made DLC like an obvious revenue stream for publishers. Mm. And I think they're still learning it. I think yeah, they're still yeah. learning how to manage it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the, uh, Shane Bennett asks, what's the most emotional story you've seen in a game? Oh man, that's a really hard question. I, I read it about ten minutes ago. Well, while we were chatting, and I'm still not sure I've come up with an answer. I'm not sure I've ever been like so, you know, so emotionally affected by a game. Really, I know that Pella always cites Lost Odyssey as having a very, very emotional storyline mm -hmm. that kind of made him, made him a bit, uh, a bit blub, a bit blubbery. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, the the problem. One of the problems, of course, is that on Xbox you do tend to get a lot of games where the the only emotion you need is the emotion of aggression <laughs> and an itchy tr itchy trigger finger, and it's it's hard to build that. And and when we have seen potentially, you know, emotional scenes like in say when Dom uh, has to oh, yeah, put his wife uh, down, yeah. 
and then five minutes later he's yeah 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 you know so it's it's it makes it it cheapens it doesn't it, it makes yeah it silly. i mean i guess i guess it depends whether you mean emotional as in you know makes you makes you blub or whether you mean you know you get kind of swept away by the world and the story i mean obviously we've got plenty of candidates in that in that yeah. kind of field yeah but i think if you're looking at like games to make you make the old lip tremble actually maybe it's not just about like the old trembling lip it's just about feeling something and it's feeling something like really like tangible like a lot of people will say like the horror they felt when they find out that they've been this puppet all along in bioshock mm. You know, that's a big one. Yeah. For me, Minerva's Den does that even better to go back to Minerva. Like, you mm. know, the the moment when you when you finish Minerva's Den and it reveals, you know, who and what you are, that's a really well handled moment. Mm. They do that really well. And I I wouldn't say it like, you know, it's it didn't bring any tears out or anything, but you were like, you know what, that's Yeah. They did they handled it subtly, they handled it really, really mm. well. They did a, did a great job of that. Uh, I think for a lot of people, like, you know, Braid was an emotional game. Mm. And a lot of people think it's about, you know, this guy looking for a girl and everything. But, you know, it, it, it's it's an art game. It's a little bit wanky in its own way. And it really, when you start looking into it, it's, it's about the pursuit of atomic power. And it's about, this, you know, the girl is, is, is the atom bomb, you know, and mm. about... And it, you, you know, that's that's why you're looking at a city on fire, and you begin to put those things together in your mind. And when you're doing that, then you start feeling things. When you can start place piecing things together in your mind, you're drawing lines between your own knowledge and the things the game is saying. Mm. That's when you feel stuff. Yeah, I think like when you watch a movie and it makes you emotional, mm. it's because you're drawing parallels with your own yeah. experiences, and you're thinking, you know, you said ever since you became a father, it's like anything involving yeah. kids is just like yeah, no, absolutely. breaks you, right? It is. It's really strange. It really. It's like it's. It's like. I don't know whether I don't know whether people out there feel feel the same way, but it is almost like I've talked about it with other parents, and and a lot of other parents have said the same, especially dads, you know, and it's and uh, I think. When you become a parent, you you it's such a massive life change, and and but also yeah, I, I've said often in the office that stuff that I, I wouldn't really have, I obviously, but yeah, I wouldn't have even really paid attention to maybe uh, before my daughter came along really gets me now. You know, I remember I remember watching anything to do with kids on the news, anything you know bad, uh, it, I find very very difficult to to handle but i remember getting very emotional about um uh it was i can't even remember what show it was it was a show on tv about about um i think it might have been um extreme makeover home edition <laughs> okay where where they 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 go into i don't know if people know about this show uh, but they go into like really like families that have had a lot of tragedy in their life you know and uh and they go and and they live in absolute shitholes. And they go in and they knock down the house and build a really you know really nice house for them in a week. Anyway, there's this family and and they were lovely. Like the mum and dad were lovely, and they were so grateful for everything they'd been given. And yet their kids, that one of their girls is really sick and had to be uh, rigged up to a kind of 
a ventilator pretty much 24 7 and she needed and you know there was asbestos coming through their roof and all that sort of stuff and they knocked down the house and they created like this environment for them where uh it it like only pumped pure air into their house so that she could didn't need the ventilator mm-hmm. and it was just like i was like <laughs> it was it really got me you know yeah. and so yeah you're right it is absolutely and and um we were playing a game in the office the other week and I can't remember what it was. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, I don't really, I really felt, it, it, it definitely invoked an emotion in me. And it, it may have been to do with, to do with kids or something. And I, I said, I said, I remember saying to you or Matt, oh, I don't know, I'm really mad keen on that, you know, like, because it obviously kind of got me to emote in some way. And mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, there are, there are definitely games. And hopefully, you know, when you do, when games do have that kind of, you do have that reaction to games. It's not because of some cheap kind of um, thrill that they've put in the game. You know, some cheap kind of tactic, but through actual kind of great I storytelling. Think games you generally know. do deal in cheap tricks. You know, and we're only getting good at subtle ones now. Yeah, uh, you're looking at games tend to trade in visceral emotions, horror, shock, you know, aggression. Yeah. That's that's the emotions they tend to trade in. Subtle things are like kind of elude games. Uh, just it's just the nature of the beast, you know. Games tend to be about things that are exciting. Mm. It's like what you you're almost asking like a game designer to. It's like basically it would be like going to a roller coaster designer and say, "I want you to build a roller coaster, and I want people to be so emotionally overwhelmed they cry at the end." Mm. You're like, well. That's a big ask. Yeah. Or, you know, okay, build a crazy golf course that makes someone cry. Mm. Like, that's a tough the thing. Yeah. And that's what you're looking at. with the game to, that's, what you, that's the challenge you're looking at. It's, games aren't movies. Mm. They, you, can, you, you can build a game around you know, you know, sadness. You can build a game around redemption. You can build a game around these things. But you need to give a player something to do, yeah. And that's something, and it needs to. You need to have that interaction. You need to have that investment, and that usually comes through excitement and thrills, mm. rather than emotional, like, like any more softer emotional investment. You know, yeah. I I wouldn't like to have to design that game. No, that would be a, that would be a really tough ask. Uh, and I guess you know, if you look at if you look at things like Gears of War two, where it was, you know, so ridiculous, but. If you look at action action movies, action cinema, you know, you, you think about films like, I don't know, Rambo or whatever, where, you know, Rambo is actually quite a sad story. You know, it's a, a story about a man who is struggling to, you know, put his demons to bed and wanders into a town kind of looking for opportunity and ends up getting anything but. But, you know, because they have to deliver a level of action, it's very, it's very difficult. And unless you get exactly the right actor saying exactly the right things, it's very difficult to deliver the level of emotion that, I mean, you feel some emotion for John Rambo, but at the end of the day, still heavily armed and mm-hmm. d- doing his talking with bullets, you know. So yeah. it is, and games are the same, you know, it's very, it would be very difficult to get any genuine emotion into a game like or, Gears of War. Or like a Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell Conviction, there's a moment where Sam learns his daughter, who he thought was dead for like two years, mm. is actually alive. Like that in you know in a movie that could be a moment where you're like oh my god you're really there with him yeah and eventually they're reunited and again <clears> that could be a moment where you're like wow this is but in a game it, it, you can't do that mm. or maybe you can but it wouldn't work well so what he did is he finds out that his daughter's alive and that sends him on a rampage with you're in control <laughs> you know you're like 
Yeah. Because now he knows his daughter's life, he's got this reason to fight, you know, so he now he's become the you know ultimate Sam. Yeah. And like, you know, that's the way they handle it. And when he's reunited with his daughter, it's like boom, it's done. Yeah. So like this little moment you're like, Well, I you know, a, a movie would make that the climactic scene and it would yeah. be you, it would stir you, you know. It's tough. Yeah, it's like tough. Like I say, you you're going back to that thing where you're like you're talking about how do we how do we build a roller coaster that makes people feel emotions other than thrills and spills mm. and you know and horror. Yeah, I think we like say, I think we're getting better at it. It, like, it used to like, scares used to be boo, you know, mm. things jumping out at you. Now you're looking at scares being genuine fear, genuine horror. You get games like Amnesia, yeah, and games like Fatal Frame where you're like, I I don't want to play this yeah. because it's so horrifying and we're good at that I think the next step is getting games that are so emotionally investing that we can what did you think about Heavy Rain did you think it oh, kind of crap. did you think it kind of kind of well um... I think Matt Castle said it best he said you know what if if you know if they if it's been it's inspired by movies right that's what they've said all along mm. inspired by movies it's a movie cinematic game it's a movie like game well if that game is a movie you've just made the worst movie ever you just made the worst movie anyone's ever made. It's got oh, it's got the old the old uh, embittered private eye. Yeah. It's got the cop with problems. It's got the horror with a heart. It's got every cliche in the book. Yeah. Absolutely every cliche in the book. And the only emotion I felt with that game was frustration. And I think that it was intended. The game was intended to frustrate me. There's parts where you're like calling for your son. You're supposed to be frustrated at that point. Mm. And you know what? Mission accomplished. You did well there. But most of the time. No, it's a, it's a, a, a truly rotten story. Because I mean, the only reason I ask is because they were very. I mean, that's a game that that tried, tried. I guess you could argue to to you know to imbue that its sort of levels with and its characters with that sort of level of emotion we're talking about. Yeah. Because it delivered a game that that ran at a much slower kind of pace and and yeah. you know, but. I just wonder because I haven't played it. I just wonder whether it delivered on that. I think I felt more emotion playing the Blade Runner game, the old Westwood Blade Runner right, game yeah, back yeah. in there. I think that was I was more emotionally invested in that. Yeah, it was clever. It had a good story. It was uh, had a, a, a lot going on with all of its characters. Whereas Heavy Rain is just cliche after cliche after cliche. Yeah, I'm not saying like you know. I think a lot of people enjoyed it, but uh, you weren't one if, of them. If, if you enjoyed it, man, like you need to broaden. Your, uh, gaming your, 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 your no, well, not even that. Your movie horizons and, yeah. and your reading horizons, because when you, when you've seen a, a fair few movies, you start to look at Heavy Rain and go, "Man alive, this is some cheesy shit." But a hey, mechanically, it was quite clever, quite creative. Um, I don't think it was. I, 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 th- I, I really do think it was a truly rotten game. Mm. But um, yeah, it, it did some. It did some. It did some impressive stuff. I think. So, uh, Josh Tarpey says, what's your current thoughts on the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre? Which I, um, well, that's pretty good, yeah. I like it. And then he also asks, oh, and there's no way Fable 3 deserved its 90% score. It's rubbish, as in bury every copy in the desert E.T. style rubbish. Mm-hmm. Have you played Fable, Mike? I have. What did you think of it? I'd agree with him. Didn't like it? I've always hated Fable. Right, okay. Never liked it. It's clunky. It's um, always cumbersome. It's always buggy as all hell, but right now at home, my girlfriend's playing it. Mm. She knows games well. She's loving every minute. Yeah. Matt Castle, uh, who reviewed it for us, I believe. Uh, Alex, actually. Alex reviewed it, but Matt Castle did Fable 2, definitely, and he's been playing Fable 3. He loves it. Yeah. I think um, Matt Pellet loves it. Yeah. 
It's just it. weird, isn't it? It's, it's, it's it, the, yeah. Again, like I, there's, I'm looking at a bunch of people saying, "Heavy Rain's amazing, Mike. You're an idiot." Mm. And you'll get a load of people saying, "I know exactly who's going to tell me Fable is brilliant. I know them, mm. and they're people I respect." So you agree with him, but uh, I can see where, yeah, I can yeah. definitely see where he's coming from. I can, I, 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 I can sort of see where the people who like it. Are I think from actually, too. even in even in Alex's review, he he did have quite a few caveats about it, but he said that you know he he enjoyed it. Overall, you know, he en- he enjoyed it so much that he he, he was yeah. you know it was. Different. I think for a lot of people, what they really like is the, the voice acting and the yeah. quirky little quests you go on. Yeah. For me, that stuff's a real turn off. Yeah, the voice acting really is a turn off in that game for me. I I, I, I you, you get so many voices you recognise, British actors you know, and it just takes me straight out of the game. I'm like, oh god, there's a. Victor Meldrew. Yeah. So Richard Wilson's not <laughs> yeah, in the game, but you know. So yeah. like you, so you get this voice, you suddenly ask, oh, hello, Jonathan Ross. Yeah. You're, inst- you're instantly pulled out of the game. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. John Cleese. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That instantly pulls me out of it again. Yeah. Um, Jason Toon says, um, who do you think will win the race for the next generation of consoles? I assume I assume he means who who's going to deliver the next generation of con- who's going to deliver the next first gen- console yeah, first. The next con- let's take handhelds out of the question because the PSP2 yeah. and the 3DS are going to be this year yeah uh, be surprised if it's in Microsoft yeah now the interesting thing with Microsoft is that I, and I'm not I'm not really sure whether I'm allowed to talk about these because we might have signed some sort of confidentiality agreement so I won't give the specifics but I was looking at some figures yesterday uh, which made it plainly obvious that, that Microsoft's decision to go into the market early uh, with the 360 and beat PlayStation 3 has paid off handsomely. Yeah, uh, they are really, really burying PS3 in in the UK. Yeah, and uh, and you know it's so. It, I agree. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they were the next out of the blocks because they've established themselves quite a healthy lead, and I think they'll want to build on that. And they will, as we've always said from the start, Microsoft will win eventually because they all they do is just throw money at you know through money at until yeah. they win. So, the question, the more interesting question, is when we think this is going to be. You know, yeah, I think that's, that is a good question. I think it's, or even if there is going to be, an, uh, you know, a, a if you look at um, the Wii right now, the Wii's obviously wrapping up. This yeah. is the last year of the Wii. Oh yeah. Sorry, Wii owners. Yeah. I'm a Wii owner. This is the last year of the Wii, and it doesn't. The Wii has got a really weird life cycle. For starters, it's just a GameCube repackaged, but. It's had this strange life cycle where it looks like it's healthy and vibrant, but it actually isn't. No. Sales have slumped, and there's no big games this year. I think yeah. there's the new Zelda game. Yeah. And what you normally see at this point in the console's life is very few games selling, very few games being made, and you really see it winding up because they start work on the next generation of that company's consoles. But because of the strange life cycle that uh, Wii's had, which is to say, they're still advertising Mario Kart as a big Christmas game. Mm. They're still advertising New Super Mario Brothers as a big Christmas game. They're still advertising Wii Fit as a big Christmas game. You look at all of these games which came out years ago, like you couldn't go on if on the Xbox market and say, hey, well, buy Call of Duty 4 this Christmas. Yeah. It wouldn't work for you. Right. Because the Wii's had this strange life cycle. It looks like the Wii's healthy. It looks like the Wii's doing fine. But from a publisher and developer standpoint, they are wrapping up. And, and if you look at the figures, which I, which I was, you know, it's they they it's stagnant. It's absolutely stagnant. Well, if you're a third-party developer, you don't sell nothing on the Wii. No. And look at games like uh, Metroid Prime. 
Not Metroid Prime, sorry. Metroid is a great game. Um, the new Metroid, yeah. Other M, yeah. bombed. Yeah. Absolutely bombed. I mean, that's a big Nintendo game. New Donkey Kong, bombed. Mm. We're talking catastrophic bombs mm. to the point that you look at the marketing budget on the game and you're like, God, for every, every, every whatever they spent advertising it, they stay only they sold one copy. Yeah. And you're talking that a massive loss, you know? Yeah. The, the Wii's wrapping up. And the 3DS, I think, is the first signs of what you'll see for Nintendo's next console, which is to say a lead with third-party developers. They want they don't want third parties to be scared of Nintendo wrecking their party. Mm. Like that's why that's the problem Nintendo got with the Wii. No third party will support it now because mm. they know that only Nintendo games sell on the Wii. And but to be honest, there's always been a bit of a problem with the Nintendo consoles. I mean, since, since the N64 days. Yeah, I mean, right? going back to N64 days and, and GameCube days, you know. You'd get the occasional third-party game that would be a breakout hit, but but mostly they got absolutely buried. Yeah. Uh, on the on the N64, SNES was great. I mean, yeah, SNES was great right. for everybody, but the N64, the only people developing for that that platform were Nintendo and yeah. Midway. Yeah, that's right. Well, the problem with the N64 was that the cartridges were just so expensive. expensive my God, you know, Acclaim were also all over the. Uh, yeah, I mean, Acclaim. That's had, all your favorites, right? Yeah, Acclaim had Capcom wouldn't touch it. Square wouldn't touch it. The only reason Capcom started developing for, for, uh, towards the end was so they could get a GameCube license easy. Mm. You know, and they brought, uh, they brought Resident Evil to it. And yeah, yeah. No, it was a disaster. It yeah. was a disaster. And, and so there's always been that element of that side of it to Nintendo consoles. Yeah, I think that's what they're, that's what they're trying to get away from. You sort, of get, you sort of get the feeling that, um, that they don't... Uh, this is just you know me sort of having a wild stab in the dark. You sort of get the feeling that they don't have the the kind of open uh, open door policy that companies like Microsoft have with their developers. Yeah, you know you always get the sense that Nintendo hold back a little bit of technical information. Uh, you know, so because the, yeah. the third party games always turn up, and you know ex- there are exceptions to the rule, but mostly they're nowhere near as good as. And that's yeah. because Nintendo are good I developers. Think Capcom are an exception, just because Nintendo have a really close relationship with Capcom. Bear in mind, Capcom have made a load of Zelda games for them. You know, they have a, they're really good friends with Capcom. Mm. So when you see Resident Evil Four looking amazing on the GameCube, that shouldn't surprise you. Yeah. Uh, so I reckon we two, we HD or whatever it gets called. TGS this year you reckon that soon I reckon right I reckon that we'll, we'll, be, we'll see the, the new we announced at TGS for release late 2012 right okay I think this is this is a pure speculation on my part I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised but in much the same way that Nintendo announced the controller for the Wii at TGS then the following year showed the console and a load of games at E3 and then release the games, the, the machine in the in the, uh, the the autumn. I think that's what we'll see with the with the three uh, the Wii. Right. Okay. Which means they might beat Microsoft in the announcement because I don't think we're going to see a new Xbox announced this year. No, definitely not. Definitely not. It'll be all Connect. Yeah. Connect. 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 Yeah. And I think next year, next year's E3, is where Microsoft announce 2012 E3 and 2013 E3 is where Sony announce. Right, okay. possibly. Interesting, interesting. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it could be onto something. I'm surprised. I, it's sort. Of, I mean, Nintendo. Uh, I mean, it's, Japanese companies are much better at keeping secrets than, than U.S. companies. So there is every possibility that Nintendo could come out at TGS in September. Oh, yeah. if, if there's a new Xbox coming, we'll know about it six months yeah, before. Exactly before they're prepared to announce it. So there is every possibility. You know, and the new Wii could be announced in in September, but. 
yeah, it kind of makes sense. The only, the only, the only reason I, I kind of think that may, maybe, it, I mean, they may announce it next year, but whether it actually, actually comes out in two thousand thirteen, it'll be like it? a hardware tease or something. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 would, I, I don't believe for, that they won't have a new Xbox by t- late twenty thirteen though. Right, you're thinking more twenty fourteen time. Right? Yeah, I just, I just wonder whether. I just think the console is going to look absolutely ancient at that point. Yeah. And already you're looking at a point where PS3 exclusives look markedly better than Xbox exclusives. Yeah. Uh, I think that will just show more and more with time. I was just, I mean, you know, I'm just thinking that, you know, this this year that they'll they'll be what are we 2011 they'll be pushing Connect pretty hard. Yeah, big Connect push this year. And you know probably into 2012 as well. Yeah, they, you might be right. I they might announce it next year. With full macro compatibility. I I think you'll be they'll be both companies will be looking more at Nintendo's model. Mm. Well, you're not coming out saying we're replacing our old console. We're going to be looking saying this is the next generation of our consoles. You can buy this, but keep supporting the old one for a while mm. you'll see a gradual phase out of one and a gradual phase in of the other you're not going to see like the old cut and burn yeah. you have with old consoles where it was yeah. like yeah okay that one's dead now now's the, here's the next one mm. you're going to see and bear in mind that was a kind of a new invention the NES was alive for years yeah. while the SNES was still ticking. Mm. But the three leap to 3D killed all the 2D consoles stone dead yeah. and after that everyone was kind of like just cut and burn it's like chop Onto the next generation. Chop onto the next generation. That happened for two generations in a row with the N64 and the GameCube. And then Nintendo showed everyone a different way of doing it. Mm. I think you'd be more likely to see... uh, I'm not saying a souped-up Xbox because that would be suicide. You just splinter the market at that point. I'm talking about a new Xbox which supports all the current Xbox games. Mm. I mean, if like the way I'm thinking about it in my head is that there is not going to be a third Elder Scrolls game on the no. Xbox 360. When they're done with Skyrim, I don't see them developing another game with a two-year dev, dev cycle no. for this current generation. Yeah. And if you've got like a two, three-year dev cycle, no one's going to start working on a new game this year. I couldn't see Rocksteady saying, let's bang out a third Batman game for current consoles. Mm. Because you'd be looking at getting the game out at that point for late 2013, early 2014. Mm. And you're getting, looking at getting it right in the dying stage. If you're looking at a 2014 release, you're releasing it right in the dying stages of the console's life. I just don't see it. Mm. Although, having said that, you know, a lot of that that's going to have a massive, you know, 360 is going to have a massive installed base. Yeah. And, and you know, so if 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 a, they did release a game, at, you know, right at the arse end of its life, there's there's certainly no reason that it couldn't be Ghost Stellar. You know, that's true. It's true. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd sort of never really given it that much th- thought, you know, but I think you, your sort of timetable definitely it's, makes it's sense. It's funny, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. It's because I've been looking at, like, I mean, the PC is just so much more powerful than either console at this point. Mm. You could build a really powerful console right now. I think that when we see, you see the PSP2, I think people will realise just how powerful a, a, a handheld, like a, a, a full-size console could be. Yeah. If you can make a handheld console that powerful, yeah. I think Sony always favoured a brute force route. Yeah. And the, the PSP2 will make the 3DS look like a pocket calculator, you know, the old... Uh, the old uh, yeah. Uh, it's gonna look at the, it's gonna look old instantly. But that's, you know, I didn't, that didn't hurt the DS, so who cares? Yeah. But that's what... It's, it's gonna make it look old just because... Look at the iPhone 4. You're looking at a screen, a game's outputting in 720p. Shit, if you can plug that thing into your TV, 
Yeah. You, can, you can run 720p video, you know? Yeah, you can, yeah. you, so what I see the PSP2 being is a console that's almost as powerful as an Xbox 360, mm. you know, and you can put it in your pocket mm. and you play on it. But then you get home, you plug it into the TV and you put you sync up your six-axis controller from your your PS3 and all of a sudden it's running like a regular console on TV. Yeah. I I can see the next Xbox being a portable console. Not in like uh, in the iPhone, the, the DS, the PSP sense, but not a massive step forward in technology, not a massive step forward in power, but more a step forward in portability and usability. A small box that you can take anywhere. Mm. I can see that happening. Right. Like, you know, that, that's, that's definitely possible. You know, you're looking at, Usability is what everybody loves now. Mm. You like the iPhone is absolutely beasting the DS and the PSP because it does everything. Yeah. So, if the next Xbox were a, a small box that you put underneath your TV, which does everything, mm. which they've, they've tried to do with the Xbox, I'm Sony have done it. You know, Sony have got loads of different things running through. Yeah. It's 4OD and BBC yeah, iPlayer yeah. and Microsoft have got Sky and they've got Netflix and all this stuff. Like yeah, I can I can see that being yeah. the future of the thing, and it's that's not a future which excites me as much as just brute force. No, I can see that being the future, hmm. and I see that future coming in twenty thirteen. Interesting. Uh, finally, Andy Ross asks, who would win in a fight, Bruce Willis or Clinton Eastwood? Well, we had a quick discussion about this because obviously this was the one that uh, that sparked our attention back in the office. Um, and uh, Hoodie got involved in the in the conversation as well. If you put him one on one now, it's going to be a short fight. I think he means in their prime. In their prime, yeah. yeah. It would be a tough one. It would be a tough one. If we're talking like Bruce Willis circa Die Hard. Are we talking Bruce Willis circa Moonlighting? Are we talking Bruce Willis like Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3? Yeah, I think we're talking, yeah, Die Hard era Br- Bruce. And, you know, like badass, dirty Harry era. Uh, yeah. It's a tough one. I, I'd, I think old uh, old old Eastwood would have the smarts, but uh, but Willis would probably. Well, I think if I remember, if I know my movie history correctly, Eastwood's actually a bit of a boy. You know, he's like he's he, he worked for a living and stuff, and mm. he's um in a lot of his movies he did. He's in a lot of movies which involve a lot of training to do certain scenes. Like play, he played a bare knuckle boxer in two movies, mm. so he learned you know a lot of boxing for that. I wonder if you know if, if you're taking, maybe, maybe that makes him a little bit tasty. Yeah, with your punch up, and I guess we're talking about a punch up, right? We're yeah, talking, yeah, talking, talking a straight, straight fight. on punch up. I mean, Willis is uh, would, would have done you know, stunt training and stuff as well. So yeah. you're looking at, but you know, Eastwood rode around on horses. He did a lot of westerns, yeah. and he was acting at a time when actors were men. You know. Yeah. He was, he was acting, you know, these days if an actor needs to run upstairs, they bring in a stuntman to do yeah, it just in yeah. case the actor trips and, and twists their ankle and yeah. is out of filming and you lose $2 million because your, your lead actor couldn't act for one day. Mm. Like, you know, Clint was acting at a time when he was making spaghetti westerns on a budget of 50p mm. and he was doing all of his own his falls and his, yeah. his, all of his own shootouts and all of his own horse riding. Make no I, think, mis- I think that makes him a bit rougher and tougher. Yeah, make no mistake, Clint was badass. Mm. You know, Clint was badass, and even in you know, even in Gran Torino, he was uh, he was he was like he was still had that sort of you could see a steely sort. I of... Really, a, I really, my dream is that Chris Nolan comes along and makes The Dark Knight Returns with Clint Eastwood as yeah, Batman right, before yeah. he's like absolutely yeah. ancient, which I think unfortunately he yeah. is. Ten years ago, you could have done. Oh, it, it would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah ten definitely. years ago, you totally could have done it. Yeah. 
So uh, thanks for all your questions. Is we your didn't questions? answer. We didn't, you didn't even give him an answer. It's too difficult to say. Is it too difficult? I don't know. I honestly don't know. All right. It's too, I mean, who would you say? I think Clint probably. I think Clint would have smarts. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go with Clint. He's uh, he's he's. Uh... He's, he's an old timer, you know. Yeah, I think the old timer is always tougher. It's yeah. like if you put Burt Reynolds in the fight, always bet on Burt. Always bet on Burt. Yeah, he, that guy was that guy was a full on stuntman before he was an actor. You yeah, know, that's, yeah. you know, if the actors back in the day were just rougher and tougher than they are now. Yeah, it's, it's an era of real men. It Everyone's was. soft these days, including us. Yeah, soft pansy men. So. Basically, like there's there's no way any of us are as uh, as, as as manly as our fathers. No. No way. No. Yeah, like I can't. I can't put up a shelf. Even. No. Well, when my dad came came around and sorted out my bathroom problem, you know, I had a, a leak in my in my basin. Yeah, cool dad. And yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. I couldn't don't, do don't it. Didn't know what to do. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The very idea. Yeah, exactly. Pre- preposterous. So, so this um, has been the Xbox World Questions cast, right? It has. Yeah, but they've been good questions actually. Yeah. They've been good questions. We should talk about our new issue. Let's just quickly talk about our new issue before we go. Yeah, it's on sale next Wednesday, the nineteenth. Um, it's the one that we cranked out in uh, in in two two weeks. Just but that didn't Christmas. mean we, that, mean we, that doesn't mean we wanked it out. No, we but, just cranked it out. But as we said in our in our podcast before Christmas, in in many ways, our two week issue is 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 normally one of our best issues of the year yeah. because. A, we kind of plan it in advance, so we put in quite a lot. Not that we don't into to our normal issues, obviously, <laughs> but we plan it a long time in advance. And um, and because it's so intense, it, it, it we kind of and because we're so sort of heads down getting the issue done, you tend to do a lot of your good work, you know, yeah, best work there's, under there's pressure. No, there's, yeah, you're under pressure. It's got to be the best of the best first time round. Yeah. And you know it is a good issue. It really is a good issue. We've got um, we've got a continuation uh, of issue one hundred secrets feature. Yeah, we've got um, uh, the hundred great you know Xbox. I can't remember what it's called. I've been offered two and a half weeks. Hundred secrets of gaming part two. And and I actually think I said to Matt. He said, "What did you what did you think of it when I read it?" And I said, "Actually, I think it's even better than the first part." Yeah. Because I think that the people we've got this issue. It's got even better, bigger names. Yeah. Right? Say even more interesting stuff than than the issue before so that's definitely worth checking out as is our annual gigantic every game on 360 in 2011 previewed without exception as well like every single game I mean, there's a couple of games which have been announced in the last week which yeah yeah and there's a couple of games which have since slipped into 2012 but you know at the time we wrote it it was every game we had on our releases so that's like 100 and I think it was 149 games or something like that. So and that every, like you know, I think other magazines do the big list. Yeah, we didn't do a list. No, we we go into every one of them. Yeah, there's great jokes along there the way. There is yeah. some awesome some cracking jokes. Yeah, along so obviously the like the biggest games we've pulled out, singled out for special attention. But then we've got the the big roundup, which is it's always one of the best features we do all year round. Yeah, it's so always a bit of fun. It's always fun. Yeah, great laughs along the way. And um, what we got on the cover? Uh, well, we got Red Faction Armageddon on the Red cover. Red Faction one. Armageddon. You're not excited about that, are you, listeners? That's not a game which excites you. Well, you should be. Yeah. It's um, it's one of those games which is like you know, it's it's under the radar. It's waiting. It's waiting for its moment to strike. Mm. But come May, there's gonna be a Red Faction movie. There's gonna be a Red Faction comic book. There's gonna be a Red Faction live arcade <laughs> game. And there's gonna be Red Faction Armageddon. Mm. Like you're not gonna need to move for Red Faction. It will be one of the biggest games of the year. Uh, it's not what you think it is. Mm. It's a great. Yeah. Great game. So, I mean, for people who um, who, played who played the the first one, will it will need no introduction. But for people who looked at the first one and said, "God, it's a bit brown, isn't it?" They've they've 
They've yeah, they've changed that, man. I mean, it's a lot of this underground. You'd be like, oh, God, it's a bit dark underground. Now it's very different. Lots of different environments, lots of different kinds of structures, lots of different... It's, you know, it's parts of the game, 30% of the game's above ground as well. Mm. You know, Don't be too afraid of it being a really oppressive. It's a game where you're in... You know, you're talking about a game that's underground. You think caves and tunnels. Yeah, it is that, but you're looking talking about tunnels which have five-story structures in. Mm. You'll walk into a room that is as big as any battlefield you'll play in Halo. You're talking about rooms that you can drive vehicles around in, like dune buggies, tanks are rolling around underground. It's a These are big uh, areas. And once again, the weapons are awesome. The best weapons ever, and we've got big reveals on some of those weapons. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tease one of them right now. I'm going to let it slip. There's a gun which fires a beam which will cleanly slice through anything. So, you know, this is Red Faction. It's a mm. game where you can destroy any building piece by piece. You can chip it down with little little taps of your hammer or you can blow it up in big chunks. Well, now you can, so, you can cut your name into a building and the building will fall apart in that way. Mm. So I can cut a big M shape into the front of that building and well, that's going to fall apart in two neat pieces and when the pieces hit the ground, they're going to fall apart. Awesome. That, that's the old phase plasma beam. The interesting thing about that is that uh, that is uh, Metal Gear Solid Rising's gimmick, and it's just one weapon yeah, in Red you, Faction. In, um, in Metal Gear Solid Rising and Afro Samurai, yeah, you, of you're, course, you're, Afro doing, Samurai. you're doing to bodies what in, in Red Faction you do to buildings. Yeah. It's, uh, the destruction of that game changes everything. And you know what? Bad Company has got great destruction. And yeah, so has Mercenaries, but compared to, it's got, that's their one of their gimmicks, is destruction. Mm. But compared to Red Faction, Bad Company looks like Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja. Yeah. Like the sophisticated, you know, you, you destroy buildings in the most in a scripted way in Bad Company. I love Bad Company, but mm. you shoot at a wall, it goes, the wall vanishes. Eventually, you shoot at enough walls, the game goes, yeah, it will collapse the building now, and it just demolishes it. In Red Faction, it's different every time. Mm. And the beauty part is now you can rebuild those buildings with your 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 building gun mm. and then <laughs> cut them down all over again. And you know what's something you know, a weird thing? Building stuff is great fun. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot in the preview because I was chatting to one of the guys working on the game and I said, why is building stuff so much fun? He said, you thought so too. I was like, yeah, it's, it's great. You sort of mm. paint these buildings back to life as you walk forward you're sort of repainting the bridge in front of you. And you can also fire these repair grenades, which stick to the wall, and everything around where it, what was, you know, what's supposed to be there starts building back up again. It's just the most fun. Mm. He said, you said, you know what? In our playtest, we brought in playtesters fully under NDA, like to just play the game. He said, what we find is that people just like building stuff. They demolish it and then they build it, and they demolish it and they build it again. It's really fun, and we'll tell you more about that in the preview. Uh, we've also got um, Dead Space 2 review. Uh, we discussed that a little bit earlier, but uh, that's where you'll find uh, our take on uh, how good or how bad Dead Space 2 is. Uh, we've got um, a ton of other stuff as well, like Mass Effect 3 news uh, and first picks and uh, all, yeah, all sorts of other stuff. So it's a, it's a jam-packed issue. Mike, I don't know what you did in... You know, if there's anything special in community all sorts yeah all sorts there you go it, it, the trouble is, is normally we, we have a copy of the magazine that's right, right. but we, we did it two and a half weeks ago and we haven't had issues in the office yet yeah. and Christmas has kind of come in between so but you, so you'll forgive us that but it is a fantastic issue we're really proud of it uh, it's on sale next Wednesday and we uh, we advise you to go out and get it so thanks for listening uh, uh, we hope you've enjoyed it slightly different podcast today but we think it's uh, we think it's been quite effective it's been a good opportunity to answer your questions which we always love doing 
Um, if you do have any more, post them on our Facebook page. Get on our forum. We promise uh, the people on our forum that we'll we'll answer those questions next time, Rain. And uh, or, or get onto Twitter. Get uh, you know and, and and get in contact with Mike. Just just give us a shout. We love to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think of the issue, what you've been playing. You know what you've been. Uh, any great stories. We also want your pictures. We'd love to see you playing games. We'd love to see you arsing around and and doing. Uh, things as long as it's not illegal things or things that are going to get us arrested yeah pictures are important we're uh we're, we we want our, our contributions to uh our um your shout page so often involve people's buttocks mm. and and shots of things that aren't people <coughs> uh action figures mm. consoles copies of the magazine and uh, we want to see you we want to see you otherwise we're unless you send us your face we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna stop showing any, any faces at all. We want, yeah. we want, we want it right now. Yeah, we do. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the the contribution we get on Facebook is always, always fantastic. Mm. I think, and over Twitter too. But what we got, we got a few guys who are contributing so much, mm. it's draining everybody else out. So we want to hear from all the people. So if you've never contacted us, contact us before, then we want to hear from you. Yeah, we want to hear from the guys who never speak to us. Come and give us a shout. We, want uh, to hear from you. we also want to hear from our regulars, obviously, as well. But we, we we'd love to hear from you know people out there who perhaps have bought the issue for the first time, or maybe aren't uh, you know pretty new to Xbox. We'd love to hear what you think of the mag. And what do you well. want to see from from the mag? Yeah, tell year. us, tell us, tell what, us. What games do you want to see? What features do you want to see? What can what we do? Of- we doing better? What don't you like? Everything we want to we want to know because you know over the next year we're going to be evolving the mag as we always do, and we're trying to respond to what people possibly want. gearing up for that launch of the console, which may or may not exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, So thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.